0: July 4th, 2010, lecture discussion number five on the book of Romans. You find my most holy dry erase marker so we can enroll in here. This is number five again on the book of Romans. Oh, yes, kids, you're dismissed. It's also known, of course, as the 4th of July special sermon because what? This is the 4th of July, and so we have to have a special sermon. So it's the special 4th of July sermon or the 4th of July special sermon, whatever. You can't leave. Where are you going? To do what? Field day. That's what we always did when we weren't prepared. When I was teaching. (laughs) Whatever. Okay. Bring them back sometime tomorrow. Now, that's good Sunday school leadership right there. Okay. It's getting a little harder to keep producing these special sermons, as you know. It seems like every Sunday is another holiday. We had, what, Mother's Day just a couple of weeks ago, and we had Father's Day. And today is Independence Day, and soon comes next week, in fact, uh, total, total Solar Eclipse Sunday. So I've got to have a special sermon for that. And then there's Full Moon Sunday. Halloween is on a Sunday this year. A special Halloween Sunday sermon. That should be fun, huh? I can't wait for that. Maybe, maybe because we're now in the evenings on this Bible study, some kid will try trigger treating. We could lure them in. We could have signs, big treats here come. That would be great. That would really be great, especially if we could get the parents. And Daylight Savings, of course, this year ends on a Sunday, so we'll have a special Daylight Savings Sunday special sermon thingy. That's a lot of pressure. Every every week I got to produce a Sunday special sermon, and I can't keep doing it because there you know it's just one contemporary fuzzy wuzzy sob fest after another, and I'm just just not able to pull that off. I, I have a gift for it, I know, but uh, it's really getting tough. Okay, so today's special Fourth of July Independence Day sermon is coincidentally on Romans one seventeen. Where we have left off for the last two weeks. You may have noticed there is no special 4th of July Sunday sermon, is there? It's the same old sermon that we were going to do anyway. The just shall live by faith. That is the great thesis statement of uh, the book of Romans. That is what the Holy Spirit through Paul wanted for him to do. And of course, he was taught to do it by Christ himself face to face. The just shall live by faith. (laughs) And he is about to prove that all through the book of Romans. And he begins, as you know, uh, right off the bat, dividing everyone into two groups. And you may remember that. We plowed ahead into Romans chapter 2, kind of. We went through 118 through 32 really fast. And we plowed right into Romans 2, way before we should have, where Paul divides everyone into two groups. How is the uh, sound? I'm getting a lot of reverb. Am, Am I okay? Are you... Complaining. Everybody hears me fine? You complained earlier? Okay. Well, good. If she fixed it, then it's good. And I'll just... This is one of the first times I've been hitting in the face with it again. Okay, again, we plowed ahead into Romans 2. And Romans one eighteen through 32, and Romans 2 is where Paul divides everyone into two groups. Um, essentially, he divides them into the Jews and the Gentiles have to erase the board from last week a little bit. Let me put the thesis statement back on there because I didn't, remember, I didn't want to do that. You just shall live by faith. If you get one thing from me in all of the book of Romans, that's what you get. But he divided everyone into two groups. He effectively divided them into Gentiles and Jews. And you will notice that Paul does that a lot. Namely, because he is the apostle to the whom? Uh, to the Gentiles. And so he di- differentiates them from the Jews. And he assigned uh, different characteristics to them. The, primarily the Gentiles are out without excuse. Bill read uh, Romans, uh, the very piece where um, um, it declares that we are all out without excuse. But primarily the Gentiles are without excuse because they clearly see the invisible attributes of God and the sustaining power of God, but they're not thankful. They don't care. They don't even acknowledge Him. They do not care and they are not thankful and they do not glorify their Creator. And therefore, even though they can clearly see that all of this is held together by an invisible power, they reject that power. And that's two things, if you will thankfulness and giving glory to the true God of creation. That's two things that He demands of us. You're back so soon. What did you forget? Your stuff that you pretended to prepare. Oh, we, had a ch- we, we divided your wallet amongst the congregation. It's called reverse tithing. That's what it is. Don't feel bad for her. We're related Uh (laughs) uh-huh what's that (laughs) okay where was I two things two things you got to do two things you're created two things be thankful for being created be thankful for your existence give glory to it to God for that two things that's all we have to do be thankful give glory But the state of the Gentile nations, Paul says, is no thanks and no glory. They despise his goodness. And immediately, if you're not thankful and if you're not giving glory, then you are saying effectively God is not good. Do you make that connection? Because the question is, is why do any exist? Why do any exist? Why do we why do any of us? Why has anyone ever why does anything exist? The answer to that is goodness. Goodness. Things exist because he's good. You exist. I exist because he's good. We exist eternally. We're immortal. We should be thankful for that. Paul describes the gentile nation as not thankful. You know, of course, you could carry why do any exist to where? Where's the natural statement that comes after why do any exist? Why are any saved? Why are any saved? Why aren't all condemned? We exist because he's good, and we are saved because he is good. But the Gentiles, according to Paul, despise his goodness, and they deny that he is their creator, and they do are not thankful, and they do not glorify him. And then they are now exchanging the truth for the lie. And we are in a situation in this country, as John began to point out. We have exchanged the truth of of God's goodness for the lie of time and chance. So they exchange the truth for the lie, they reject the grace, they reject the gift of salvation, and degradation therefore comes to them, and they end up in a debased mind and a darkened mind. So there is your choice. You can be thankful and you can glorify and you can be aware of his goodness and and glory in his goodness and be Grateful for what we have, or you will be degraded into a debased mind and a darkened mind by your own decision. And then you are unable to understand truth. I get it all the time. People come to me and say, I read the Bible, I don't get it. Well, I know you don't get it. I know you won't get it. First, you have to what? It is for the saved. It is for the thankful. It is for the those who glorify Why do you witness, by the way? Why not, as soon as you're saved, why don't you just get poofed right out of here? I'm saved. Bang, I'm gone. That would be a powerful testimony, wouldn't it? Also be a little scary for some. Everyone that's saved is instantly gone. Why does he leave you around? Thankful. glorify, Witness. By the way, why did he pick you? To save You better than anybody? No, he clearly says you're not. So why'd he pick you? You're the worst. That's why he loves the worst. I'm right there with you. We're all in a big pile of sewage. How come any are saved? You answer back. Goodness. How come any exist? You answer back. Goodness. But anyway, if you fail to glorify, if you fail to be thankful, you disintegrate into a debased mind. And that's so important to understand that Paul will keep saying mind, darkened mind. It's your mind because it is not your physical body that that identifies you. It is your mind, the supernatural mind, the immaterial mind that is your essence. Anyway, and God eventually responds to those who become uh, debased and who have a darkened mind. He responds to them how? With abandonment. And there is your lesson of the Pharaoh, right? In Exodus, then the second group, the state of the Jews, that's the state of the Gentiles. Paul describes then the state of the Jews, the Jews, they were given the riches of a special covenant privilege. They knew everything. They had the scripture. They had prophets. They had they had, if you wish, uh, revelation that was extraordinary. They had miracle after miracle. They had Mount Sinai. They had the Red Sea. They had no clothes that ever wasted on them. They were fed from heaven. They had the pillar of cloud. They had the ten plagues. They had everything. They're without excuse. They were given the scriptures and the prophets and they had themselves. God came to them in the flesh, walked among them in their midst. God himself. And they killed his prophets and they rejected Christ. Matthew 12. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the I Am, the Lord God Almighty, stands before Israel, Matthew 12, and is not received, is rejected, and instead they seek to kill him. Notice how I say that. They seek to kill him. Can you kill God? Give it up. You're not going to kill God. It is, it is biblical illiteracy to say that the Jews or the Romans killed God. He has to what? He has to give his own life up. It's very specific that he has to do that. But anyway, the Jews, all of that revelation, still hate the truth of salvation by grace alone through faith in Christ alone. The invisible God became visible. You really get the irony of that. He says to the Gentiles, the clearly seen, the invisible is clearly seen. What he means by that, if you look around at the creation, at the large and the small, as Bill said, if you looked out there and saw the large and you saw how small the, the quantum physics of it all and how it was held together, how it worked, then that is the attributes of God, His sustaining omnipotence, His sustaining power, and the invisible of God is clearly visible in His creation, and you are without excuse. That's the Gentiles, but the Jews actually had God. Standing there physically, he added humanity and took physical form. They didn't have to guess at anything. Everything laid out for them, and they still reject him. The invisible God became visible, walked among them, and was clearly seen, and the Jews knew him not, John 1.10. So there's your two groups, right? Both of them, without that's the without-excuse group. Both are without-excuse. You're in one of those groups. Pick one. First thing I say to Jews, by the way, Mr. Fruchtenbaum, when he came here and fought with Mike Tavallero for a couple hours, those of you who would like to see all that on video, I think we have it. No, I'm kidding about that. But when he came here, he told me, he said, stop talking to Jews. I said, okay. I said, why is that exactly? Because he'd listened to all my tapes. And... uh, Okay, not all of them, but a couple of them at least. And he listened to them and he found out that I was stealing his material. And he thought it was interesting, but he told me to stop talking to Jews. And I said, uh, well, the first thing I say to Jews is that uh, you had the invisible made, made visible in front of you and you rejected him and you're blind. He said, I don't. Stop doing it. You can't talk to Jews. I said, why, really? No. And why can't I talk to Jews? And he was kind of polite, but effectively he said to me, you're an idiot. If you run into one, have them call me. All you'll do is mess it up. And I put a lot, a lot of thought into that, and I realized ultimately that he was right. If you're a Jew here today, I'm not talking to you, you're in this group. I'm talking to the blind, dumb Gentiles, which is me. I can do that really well, I can identify with them. It doesn't mean you have a different covenant if you're in this group, because all of us are saved by one way. That's called dual covenantism, by the way. You'll find some preachers that believe all Jews are saved um, because they have a covenant relationship. No, they don't, in that sense. All Jews are saved the same as all Gentiles are saved. God is impartial. We are saved by faith through the blood of Christ, both before and after the cross. The cross is in the middle. Some look forward. Some look back. But we're all saved by Christ. Okay? Anyway. The Jews became blind and hardened and treasured up for themselves wrath, boasting instead in salvation by works. Romans two twenty three. They were so proud of their system of salvation that they boasted in it. And the name of God, because they boasted in their salvation by works, their salvation by rules, salvation by what they could do, salvation by the hands, salvation by the laws that they pretended to keep. God is therefore blasphemed among the Gentiles, it says in Romans 2.24. In fact, God says it this way. The name of God is therefore blasphemed among the Gentile because of you, he says to the Jew. So if you have a salvation by works, a salvation by deed, a salvation by rote or rule, he says you are blaspheming me. Romans 2.24. Which means you're Witness is useless to him. Trying to say the only witness that is valuable is salvation by grace. The just shall live by faith. I forgot my period. That's what's going on in Romans, right? That's where we have been. That's essentially where we left it off last Sunday. And why did we repeat it today? Because we have a visitor. It's all for, for them. No, because you guys come and go during the summer, and if I don't do it, I lose most of you, and I don't want to lose you. If I get all of you there, where is there the throne of Christ? All of you saved—it's not my responsibility in that sense—but if I get you all there, what do I get? It's right a prize. I do. I get—I get skittles. Yeah, I get some kind of. I get a camera. Did I ever tell you the story about a young man named Sullivan? I can't remember his last name. It isn't the mayor's kid, but he invited me to training union at Wednesday night, downtown at the Baptist Church, where the Pennies building is now. And I went because I was so excited. He was a popular kid, and he wanted me to go, and I was really happy about that. And I went there to find out what? He wanted a camera. He the, whoever invited the most kids got a camera. I was worth about one-fifteenth of a camera to him. But I went. Okay, where am I now? A little rummy today, can you tell? That's where we left off. So this Sunday now I'm going to back the bus up a little bit and return to the beginning. But if you weren't here, that's pretty much now. You're now even with everybody that is. And so if they're sitting next to you pretending they know what I'm talking about, you know they're faking it just like you now. So the beginning of Romans 1.17, the just shall live by faith. We're going to back up and get all of that. And pick it all up for you. But you know that Romans 1.17, the, the great thesis statement of, of Paul in Romans, is really where? Where is it? You know this. I've told you already. It's on your test, which is on Friday. You don't get a hot dog unless you perform for me now. Where is the thesis statement, the just shall live by faith in the Bible? It is, Romans is repeating it. There's a quote of it. It is Habakkuk 2 4. That is where the phrase is introduced. Habakkuk 2 4. I always wanted to name, Lindsay and Eric are getting a puppy, but uh, I wanted to have a dog, and my choices were Zerubbabel, because I really wanted to watch Eric and Christopher say Zerubbabel. My other choice was Habakkuk. Thought that would be cool too. But anyway, Habakkuk 2-4. Why am I saying this stuff? Because today I'm clearly tired. Habakkuk 2-4 is where the phrase is introduced. Paul is taking it out of Habakkuk and putting it in Romans, putting it after he talks about the Gentiles and the Jews being blind and debased and in great and without excuse and facing wrath and facing judgment. He says the just shall live by faith and he brings up Habakkuk. And just spelling Habakkuk, there's two three K's in Habakkuk. That's why if it's ever on Bible word search, you can always figure it out. What else has three K's? Habakkuk two four. The great verse that he uses in Romans one seventeen, also uses it Galatians uh, three eleven, and of course uh, Hebrews ten thirty eight. I believe. I hope. Check me. Isn't that right? Good. Anyway. First mention, if you will, that's where the phrase is first mentioned. Notice how I say that the phrase is introduced there, not the principle, the first mention of the phrase. See, Paul is going to say to you really quickly right after this that the just shall live by faith is what was given to Abraham in Genesis 15 and 12. Right. But the first mention of the phrase is Habakkuk and John of course in Revelation 13:8 says the just shall live by faith predates the created order the created order including time the created order is space matter energy and time and it predates that 13:8 of Revelation so John will tell you that before God made time he made the just shall live by faith and it was given to the given to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant so it's way far in front of Habakkuk Nonetheless, as I said, the first mention, not the beginning of the principle, but the first mention of the phase is Habakkuk 2.4. So we've got to do what? In order to understand Romans, what do you got to do now? You've got to read Habakkuk. If, let me say this as strong as I can, if you think you have read the book of Romans and you have any idea what it's saying, you are in trouble. Unless you are an expert in Habakkuk. And we're going to invest Habakkuk. It's very important to do so. Any study of Romans that ignores Habakkuk is not a study of Romans. Nor should any study of Romans ignore Genesis 15 and Genesis 12. Okay. Habakkuk does something similar to Romans we had expected. What Paul does in Romans and what's happening in Habakkuk is very similar. I have two groups in Habakkuk. And he gives us characteristics. Remember, I'd always say last week or a week before, I lose, I lose track a little bit, that if there's a just, then there's an unjust. And if, they shall, if there's some people that are living, then there's people that don't live, that die. And then if there's a by faith, the, the, the just shall live by faith, then the converse must be the unjust shall die by works. And that, by the way, is profoundly true. And every time a Jehovah's Witness comes to the door and explains to me that that uh, salvation is a works-based system, I go right here, among other places, and annoy them with both this and the deity of Christ. Now they have red paint somewhere on my house where I can't see it. They don't come as often. Anyway, Habakkuk does the same thing. Habakkuk separates, makes a contrast between the just and the unjust and living and dying and faith and works. And that makes a perfect sense because Paul is using it to explain his principle in Romans, right? And Habakkuk gives us the characteristics of the unjust who die. And that's very important to us. In fact, Habakkuk gives us a type. And uh, as you know, I am somebody who believes that you must study the types. You must study them. You have to know that the Ark of the Covenant is a type. Of Christ, You have to know that it went through Israel, it was carried among Israel, it had inside of it the law, protected the Israelites from the law. Anyone who saw the law was, uh, was uh, uh, immediately consumed by it, you all saw the movie, right, if you were Jews. So through Israel, with the law inside of it. It it covered so that they couldn't understand, lifted up on poles. So they didn't know what the ark was. All they knew was it protected them from the law. They knew that it walked amongst them. And it was hidden. Well, that clearly is Christ. So you have to understand your types and your symbols of Christ. You have to understand how they all fit together. Critically important. Those who who neglect the types uh, neglect the context of the New Testament. So Habakkuk prophesies. So we're going to study him a minute. Uh, he prophesies during the final time of the uh, uh, Assyrian Empire. So the Assyrians were overrun by the Babylonians. Are you giving the baby up? Okay. Okay. If if you're going to take the baby, you take the diaper. That's the rule, isn't it the rule? See, I know that. You ever see me take the baby? You ever? Ever? Can't take the chance. Not. Ooh. He always thinking now that the baby is being dealt with properly by the father well done joy all women give is that his first time by the way no okay that's cool and I see Anna just gave that baby up so fast isn't correct Oh, (laughs) there's a picture of Anna trying to steal the baby from last week that Ken and Cindy took. If you uh, you ask Lori to see it, it's really very funny. (laughs) Okay, Habakkuk gives us a type of the unjust. He makes them the Babylonians, obviously. He also gives us other types. He gives us the apostate Jews as well. He does the same thing. He separates them into these two categories and becomes very important to lay them alongside of Romans 1 and 2 because you begin to get the picture of what the just shall live by faith actually means. In Habakkuk, he was a prophet during the final time of the Assyrian Empire, which is where now? Where's the Assyrians now? That's Kurdistan. You can say all you want about the, the war If you wish. They're now nine years in Afghanistan. This is Independence Day. We should be very thankful for these men. But uh, the George Bush administration uh, freed the Kurds. Freed the Kurds. That's the Assyrian Empire. They were under the control of the Babylonians and he cut them loose. They are now free. Kurdistan is Assyria. And Isaiah 19 says, if you heard me say many times, at the end of the age of the Gentiles, he will reestablish this highway between Assyria, Kurdistan, and Ethiopia or southern Egypt that goes through Jerusalem. So that is a great prophecy that uh, Kurdistan or Assyria would be finally free at the end of the age. And they are free. You think that's an accident? I don't. I think they knew what they were doing, by the way. The American military, and good for them. Great glory for what they have done. Anyway, Habakkuk is watched the fall of the Assyrian Empire to Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. The Chaldeans, they're also called, but mostly Babylonians. And he saw the Babylon army begin to take over the known world at that time. He saw the captivity of Israel. He saw the killing of Zedekiah's sons in front of him. When the Babylonians came in, they grabbed Zedekiah, the last king of Israel, before the captivity. And they kill his children in front of him one by one. Every single kid, every son is destroyed in front of him. They eliminate him as having any possibility of offspring that can that can be an heir to the throne. They destroy his sons in front of him. And then the last thing he sees, of course, is his sons killed, because right after that, they cut his eyes out. That's the Babylonians. And, they can, and, and Habakkuk sees all of this. The last sight of Zedekiah, the Israelite uh, king, the last sight that he had was his sons slaughtered before him. And Habakkuk was there as Israel was carried away by the Babylonians, by the Gentiles. And what did he do when he saw it? He complained. He didn't like it. Who did he complain to? He complains to God. And that's where we are. He didn't think that uh, the two groups were without excuse In other words, Habakkuk did not see equality in the state of the Gentiles, or in this case, the Babylonians, and the state of the Jews. He didn't see them as both being without excuse. So he asked God questions, and questions that, by the way, we always ask. Admit that you ask it, because you do. How do I know you ask these questions, the questions of Habakkuk? How do I know you've done it? How do I know you've done it recently? Because I've done it. And I assume you're guilty like me. We ask these questions, the Habakkukian, if you will. That's my own thing. That was really kind of funny. i worked on that and everything. Do you know how hard it is to say Habakkukian? That's not easy. Good. Thank you for, I had to force you to laugh. That's never, that's discouraging, but I'll take it. So you have to ask yourself, which one are you? Are you the Babylonian? Are you the apostate Jews? Are you Habakkuk? There's not really two choices. You have to find yourself in the story today, and so do that when you're reading Habakkuk. Know that you're here somewhere. So we're going to read Habakkuk now together. So go to Habakkuk. It's on page 1318 for those of you. That's a joke. Thank you for laughing, both of you. Habakkuk, uh, help you out, right? Help you out. Micah, find Micah. Then you got Habakkuk. I'll wait for you, because it's very important. You're in the story. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and the elder will come immediately and give you his. But you need to read it, because this is you. You're in the story. Or you've got to listen really good, which you never do. You all It's a miracle. You're not asleep yet. Here we go. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry? We call this... In, Music, by the way, the How Long Blues. How long shall I cry and you will not hear? What did he just say to God? I'm crying here and you ain't listening to me. How many times have you said that? Find yourself in the story. How many of you are Habakkuk? Don't raise your hand. You're all Habakkuk, I know. How long shall I cry and you shall not hear me? Even cry out to you, violence, and you do not save. I'm telling you, God, there's violence going on down here. You're not saving anybody. We have a big problem. You're not listening to me. You're not doing what I want. And you're all guilty of that. Look at your faces. I'm going to film the audience so you can see how guilty you look. I don't look guilty because the camera will be above me. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arising. Therefore, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. He's complaining. What's he saying? You don't hear me. We've got violence everywhere. You're not doing anything about it. You're not saving anybody. There's no justice here. The wicked are prevailing. Why do the wicked prevail? Why do the wicked prosper? What's he saying? It's God's fault. How's Habakkuk doing theologically now, doctrinally? Not good. And God answers him. Why does God answer somebody who says stuff like this? Will God answer you when you say stuff like this? You know, what will be the answer? Whop, you upside down. Yeah. It's biblically illiterate, isn't it? But God answers. Some of you have uh, headings. The prophet's question and the Lord's reply. Look, he says. Now, basically, I'll help you out here a little bit. Habakkuk is talking about the state of Israel. The state of Israel is a mess. And he's watching this. He's watching the unjust. Do. They're, they're prosperous, They're thriving. There's no justice This is awful. And God's not hearing him. So God replies to him and says, look, what's that mean? I heard you. Look among the nations and watch and be utterly astounded. You think I'm not going to move? Be utterly astounded. I'm going to move. For I will work a work in your days which you would not believe. Though you were told, it were told to you. For indeed, I am raising up the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty... Nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed before them. Their horses are also swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their charges charge ahead. Their cavalry, cavalry—I'm sorry—comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like Sand. They scoff at kings. Princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold, for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. By the way, that's what the Babylonians mastered. They'd come up against high walls and they figured something out. Bulldozers. All I need is an excavator. Just one, John, one big John Deere, and I whip this wall. All I got to do is pile dirt against it. Now I got a ramp. So all these guys were behind their walls and the little Babylonians came by the hundreds of thousands and they all had shovels and they all started shoveling dirt against that wall. Before you knew it, they had a big hill that was bigger than the wall and they overran the city and slaughtered everybody inside it. Very clever. No one thought, hey, they can move that pile of dirt over here and put it against my wall. They thought, what? Ladders. No, Babylonians used dirt called a siege ramp. Very clever. They heap up earthen mounds and seize it. Then his mind changes and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing this power to be his God. Okay, so here's what happened. The prophet says, you're not paying any attention. Israel's a mess. You know, we got, of course, we got the Assyrians are being destroyed by the Babylonians, and we got every, we got a big mess out here, and you're not, uh, there's no justice, and things are bad, and and God says, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring the Babylonians to you, and they're going to destroy Israel. Okay? So the prophet has another question. That falls under the category of what? Careful what you pray for, right? Hey, fix this. Okay, I'll, I'll slaughter everybody. Whoa, wait a minute. That's the old joke. Do not pray to learn how to handle money. What's the first thing that will happen to you? Poof goes your money. Say, this prayer, God, this money has a terrible grip on me. I don't know what to do. God, I need some humility. Here's the second question. Now, Habakkuk just found out that God is going to raise up the Babylonians and send them towards Jerusalem, send them towards Judah. So he has another question now. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God and my Holy One? We shall not die. What's he saying? Babylonians are going to kill every one of them. This isn't good. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. You are, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? That should stop you right there. Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? They take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net, they gather them in their dragnet, and therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet. Think about that a second. I have a fisherman that's gone out there. He's caught a lot of fish. This is the Babylonians. They caught a lot of fish in their net. And what do they do? They worship the net. They think the net's what? Powerful. They're, They're lighting incense. They're... They're sacrificing to the fishing net. That would kind of be like, there was a story. It's a wonderful story about uh, uh, an aborigine tribe. I'm not sure where it is, but it was uh, during one of the wars and the uh, uh, Americans came in and they brought in a big C-130 or the equivalent. I'm not sure if it's a World War II story or not, but it's very famous. And it's even got a term named for it and escapes me now. But uh, they, brought, they landed a big plane. They came out and they gave food to these uh, Aborigines. And uh, the Aborigines were really excited about that. And then they took off and left. And what did the Aborigines do then? They created carbon images of the airplane. And they tried to bring the airplane back. And they worshipped the runway and everything that the American troops had brought them, not knowing that these were just human beings. This gives you a similar thing. Here I have a people who are worshipping the net that they catch their fish in. And their fish, of course, would be other human beings that they killed. So what are they really worshipping? They're worshipping their power to kill people. Shall they therefore empty their nets and continue to slay nations without pity? That's a very important verse. We'll get back to it. Chapter 2. I will, watch my, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what God will say to me, what he will say to me, and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it will speak and it will not lie, though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. So, he has two questions, the prophet does. Two questions. Two questions. And I realize there's a lot here, and it's it's a lot to contemplate and to filter through, and and it can be difficult to correctly understand what's happening and why he said different things there, and and we can't pick it all up, I I don't believe, in, in the time that we're going to go through Romans, but at least I want you to notice a couple of things that are critically important to understanding Romans. Habakkuk is not happy. He's not happy. Why do you neglect Justice, why don't you listen to me? Why do the wicked prosper? Why don't you act? He begins with the how long blues. How long am I going to have to sit here and watch all of this evil? Why don't you hear me? Why don't you do something? Okay? And perhaps, as I said, you've likewise complained to God in a similar manner. You have asked God to do what you want, to do your bidding. You want God to be uh, an organ grinder monkey. You're going to grind the organ and he's going to dance, right? Do you think there's any possibility that's going to work out for you? So find yourself in this story. Are you ever Habakkuk? If you are, not good. Habakkuk 1-2 Habakkuk is by far the most common accusation against God. I get it all the time from people who things aren't going well, and they say to me, God doesn't act, and God doesn't listen, and God doesn't do what I want, and God permits evil. Bad things happen to me. Why are bad things happening to me? I am a what? I'm a righteous guy. I'm a good guy. Every, I'm really good. Bad things are happening to me. Why do bad things happen to good people when I'm a good people, and God doesn't care about me or the good people? God has left the room. I get that all the time. God wound it up, stuck it there, and walked away. He's not even paying attention. He's walked away. God is unfair. God is unjust. Evil's going to triumph. God won't do anything about it. Oh, he probably can't do anything about it. That's how they conclude in their anger. And on and on and blah, blah, blah. It goes. All of the above. By far, it's the most repeated universal denouncement complaint made against God. And ultimately, as I said, it always results, it always concludes at the same place. Eventually, they all go to the same place. And that is, God is impotent. He doesn't have any power. He couldn't fix it even if he wants to. He's unjust. He doesn't care. He doesn't care whether wicked wins or good wins. He doesn't care. Which means what? They just declared God evil. That's what Habakkuk has done. He's declared God to be evil. Do you follow that? And you recognize this because I hold you captive here at Cliffside. I don't give you any food until you listen to the sermon. It's an old trick, but we're using it every Sunday. You know that this complaint of Habakkuk is the essence of what in the Old Testament? Please, somebody yell this out for my morale. That complaint of Habakkuk is the God is evil. God is impotent. God cannot solve sin, and he won't. Because he can't. Sin is a result of free will, and there is no solution between free will and the omniscience of God. That is the essence of what? Matthew 4. The testing of Christ by Satan in the wilderness. That is what's going on in Matthew 4. That is a reflection of Genesis 15 and Matthew 26, 36, which is Gethsemane, right? The solution to sin is in Matthew 4. How long shall I cry and you will not hear, he says. There's violence everywhere and you don't end it. What's violence? By the way, has God confronted violence before in the world? Yeah, you read Genesis 6. Violence is everywhere. What did he do? First he waited and then he what? He ended it. You know he's going to end it, but he's always going to do what first? He's going to wait. So the question really becomes, why does he wait? But Habakkuk says there's violence everywhere and you will not save. You will not end the violence. Habakkuk sees evil and sin and apostasy all around him. Israel is filled with wickedness and God is not responding. Why doesn't God respond? Why doesn't God hear? Why doesn't God do something? There is no justice. The wicked prevail. That's the first complaint of Habakkuk. And it is profoundly illiterate. And I hope you see the illegitimacy of this. The attack is on God's character. The question assumes that God won't respond correctly, that God is uncaring, God doesn't know what's going on, God can't solve the evil. All of that is what? Blasphemy. It's blasphemy. It's blatant disrespect to the point of blasphemy. Do not accuse God of being unwilling or unable to end wickedness. Anyway, that's how Habakkuk begins. Israel is wicked. How long will they be allowed to remain wicked? And God responds in 1, 5 through 11. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, this ruthless, brutal, terrible people, and I'm going to send them. You want the sin ended? I'm going to end it for you. I'm going to kill every one of you with these guys. Oops. Thanks for answering my prayer. Judah will be massacred. He will send the Chaldeans to judge the nation of Israel slash Judah. Judah will be decimated. Careful what you ask for is the moral to the story already. God will end sin. He will end wickedness. He will bring justice. The wicked will not surround the righteous any longer. He will raise up the Babylonians. And guess what happens? Everybody is dead. Does that remind you of Anything? Because the Babylonian invasion of Israel is the same as what the Assyrians. Uh, mhm. Mhm. Judah was saved by that famine, by the way, on the Assyrians. Mike's bringing it up, but that's for the people that listen by CD because they can't hear you. When you make fun of me or make faces at me, they don't know. I have to help them. But they, the wicked will no longer surround the righteous any longer, and a great destruction will come upon them is the book of Revelation. It is the tribulation. So everyone that cries out, Please, God, end the wickedness, end the wicked ones, end sin. What are you asking for? You are asking for judgment. You are asking for the tribulation to come. And and what happens there? He's going to raise up the Babylonians. It's not a good thing. How long will you wait, O Lord, assumes that it is not good that God waits. It is good that God waits. He waits. There's a bunch of little babies in here. Those are eternal, immortal beings. It is good that he waits. Because when he stops waiting, what do we have? We have terrible, terrible destruction. Terrible. So now the prophet realizes, okay, this isn't the way I thought it would all come out. So he changes his question. He has a new question. Essentially, he asks, what about the Abrahamic Covenant? What what about Abraham? You can't destroy us because you promised that you're everlasting. You promised us that we were going to be a a kingdom forever. You promised us that, that Abraham's seed would never end. That there is an eternal Israel, Davidic covenant. You promised. What about the Davidic? What about the Abrahamic covenant? You are the everlasting God. Israel cannot die. Israel cannot end. He presents 1.13 to God. You are of pure eyes to behold evil. One, you can't get rid of us because you said you wouldn't. And two, look how good you are. You're really good. First, you told him how bad he was. He wouldn't do anything. Now, he's telling him how good he is. Does this sound like us? Again, why are any of us saved? We're morons. Why do you look on those who deal? You can't look on the wicked. How can you let a person who is wicked kill someone who's more righteous than him? That's what he's saying. He's saying the Jews are bad. And I hope you see Romans here. The Jews are bad, he said, but they're better than the Gentiles. How could you let these Gentiles kill these righteous Jews? As bad as they are. I know they're killing everybody. They're really terrible. I told you to come and stop them. But now you're bringing Gentiles to kill them all. That's not good. Because the Gentiles are worse than them. That's what he's doing. The Jews are bad, but the Babylonians are without excuse. What's the obvious question? Are the Jews without excuse? He's implying what? That the Jews have an excuse. So what's the obvious question? You can get and take out the Babylonians. They're bad. They're really bad. Get rid of the wicked Jews. But we have some good Jews here that are righteous. Don't let them go. Because they have what? An excuse. That's the obvious question. What's their excuse? I want to know. What is making the Jews more righteous than the Babylonians? Is it their salvation by faith in Christ alone, in the blood of Christ alone, by believing in Christ alone? Is that it? No, that's not it. Is it because they love the Gentiles? No, that's not it. What makes the Jews without excuse, or with an excuse? God is sending the Gentiles to judge them. It doesn't look like they have an excuse. It doesn't look like they're more righteous. Habakkuk reminds God that the Babylonians are evil, very evil. They slay nations. They exterminate nations. They rejoice and are gladdened in the slaughter of people. They have no pity. They are godless. Instead, they worship their power to kill. They worship their weapons and their net. That's what they're doing. Whatever they use to capture people, they're worshiping that. They think that's God. And they're like fish. They don't have a leader. They just swarm over and eat everything. Think piranhas. They desire to kill, catching people and killing them. Once they've killed everybody that they've caught, what do they do? They go out and catch more and kill more. They're constantly emptying their net and killing more and more. They want to catch more to kill. Think fishermen out on the Kenai River. All he does is kill fish one net after another. As soon as he gets the net empty, drives it in there, catches more fish, kills them, lets them all rot on the beach. That's the Babylonians. So Habakkuk is saying, this isn't good. How is this right? And Habakkuk asks that question. And then he says, I'm going to stand on the ramparts. I'm going to watch and I'll see what God will say to me, how God will correct me. Because what's he know? He knows it's a bad question. He knows he's going to get corrected. He knows that God will not let the question stand. He knows that his question... How can you let the evil Babylonians kill the righteous Jews? He knows that is a specious, unsound, insolent question, just like the first one. I got two bad questions. Find yourself in the story. He knows that God will not let it stand, but how long will Habakkuk but how will Habakkuk answer God's rebuke? What will Habakkuk say? And then there it is in two two. Then the Lord answered me. And what did he answer? He answered two four The just shall live by faith. Put it on a tablet, let everybody who can run see it, and have them run through the nation of Israel, screaming, The just the just shall live by faith. That's my answer. How can I let the Babylonians kill the Jews, even though the Babylonians are evil? Why did I raise up the Babylonians or the Chaldeans? Why did I bring Nebuchadnezzar? He calls him my servant. By the way, Nebuchadnezzar ends up writing scripture. Why did he bring Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar ends up saving Daniel, doesn't he? Nebuchadnezzar ends up being a a Gentile who writes Old Testament scripture. It's an extraordinary story and a great type as well. But anyway... Because he ends up being a type of the Antichrist in some way the right scripture. I'm digressing. Why is it that he let Nebuchadnezzar come and kill the Jews when Nebuchadnezzar clearly was more evil than the Jews? Because the just shall live by faith. That's the answer. So, how does that work? How does this fit? How is it that the just shall live by faith? Answers the question, why do you let the Babylonians kill the Jews? How come you wait? The answer is the just shall live by faith. Somebody comes up to you tomorrow and says, and they will, they come up to me all the time and say, God is not fair, God is not just, God is not doing a good job, is not listening to me. What's the answer to that question? The just shall live by faith. There's your answer. Now, what's left for you to do? It's really simple. Figure out how that's the answer. Do you know how that's the answer? You can do this. You can sit down and figure out how the just shall live by faith answers the question of why God waits. What happens to the unjust? What was Israel doing? They clearly were not living by faith. So what were they living by? What were they doing? Why did he have to send Nebuchadnezzar to them? They didn't have this. They weren't doing this. This wasn't any part of their doctrine. I have to do this because the just shall live by faith. It's very, very important to protect that. That's Jesus Christ, isn't it? He's protecting the doctrine of the blood of Christ. So he has to send Nebuchadnezzar. So what were they doing instead of this? Find yourself in the picture. Okay, let's rise and be dismissed. Have the special 4th of July buffet.
1: The last song is His Name, His Name, page 39. Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace throughout eternity. of Counselor, the Mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace throughout eternity.
0: Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you that the answer, the great answer, the great thesis of Romans, is the just shall live by faith. Help us understand the totality of that, the power that is there. Help us understand why that is the answer. Help us understand who the just are. How is it they live? What is the faith that they have? Please be with us as we do our best. Please teach us the truth that is in your word. Please be with those that are here. Please bless them. Please bless the food that was here. Please bless those who have sacrificed for us so that we can say the just shall live by faith. We know that they are in your hand, Father. We thank you that you are good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, hurry!